Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. This podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets, such as trading strategies, lending, and derivatives. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. This week, I chat with Taeyang Zhang, founder of Ren Protocol. In this episode, we unstack why the team pivoted their focus from building a decentralized crypto dark pool exchange to building infrastructure for cross-chain interoperability in DeFi. Tyon talks about the protocol's current use case around tokenizing Bitcoin and other use cases we'll see in the future. We also talk about KeeperDAO, a joint project between Tyong's blockchain research firm Talos Systems and Amber Group, which raised seven figures in seed funding led by Polychain and Three Arrows Capital. Tyong explains how KeeperDAO acts as an on-chain liquidity underwriter and how the pooled liquidity model offers greater access to on-chain arbitrage opportunities across exchanges and lending platforms. He also shares some details on what users can expect from KeeperDAO's next iteration. As always, thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Taeyang. Welcome to Crypto Unstacked. It's really great to have you join me on the pod. Thanks, Leslie. This is the seventh episode in the DeFi Defined series. And in this episode, we're going to unstack the latest with Ren and KeeperDAO. But first, can you give us a brief intro about yourself and how you came to become a committed builder in the DeFi space? Yeah, for sure. So I, I first encountered crypto. It would have been quite early when, when Bitcoin was trading at $50. But Back then, there was, I, I wouldn't say my comprehension of the space was quite deep. So, I mean, like a lot of people, I, I knew about Bitcoin, but never dove too deep into it. It was only until sort of late 2016 when uh, my good friend Stefan Chin, who now runs Virgil Capital uh, from, from New York, he, he said, hey, look, look at the Bitcoin markets. They're, they're exploding. Volume's good enough that we can do a lot of ARB. And that was the time that we, we decided to start Virgil Capital, which is a quant fund that trades crypto. And initially, it was just an arbitrage fund. That was my first foray into crypto. And to, to be honest, didn't really know what, I guess, what each of the coins were doing. As you get deeper and as you start trading more of these coins, you start to think about, okay, what, what am I actually trading, right? Because some of these strategies, you don't, you don't need to, you don't need to know what coin you're trading. I mean, it can, it can just be a market neutral strategy. So yeah, I dove deeper into Ethereum. I think like many people, the idea of smart contracts is, is really cool. You, you start to imagine like what could be built. And I think the first idea that really stuck in my head was this idea of a non-custodial escrow or a trustless escrow. The, the example that I always think about is 
if we imagine that domains were registered on a blockchain somewhere, like .com domains, .net domains, and people were buying these domains with USDT or on, on, on Ethereum or DAI or USDC, then you know you could settle this all within a smart contract. Whereas previously, you would have to have like a third party that you trust to do that. I mean, I, I don't think it's a mind blowing use case, but you start to think about uh, what can be done in this in this ecosystem. Yeah, just coming back, that was my first interaction with crypto. And as, as I dove deeper into the Ethereum ecosystem, I, I teamed up with Long and that's when we started REN. Well, back then it was known as Republic Protocol. Excellent. So that was in 2017 and you raised some funds in 2018, right? For Republic? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. Got it. So yeah, talk to me about the first iteration then, Republic Protocol, before it became REN. What was the focus of the initial project? So the focus of the initial project was to build a dark pool, essentially an exchange where the the, uh, limit order book is hidden. People cannot see bid and asks and and still have all order books in a decentralized fashion and also order matching in, in, in a distributed manner as well. So instead of having, you know, one centralized engine running on AWS or GCP that is doing all the matching, like many other exchanges. The idea is whether we can have an auto matching engine that runs on this hidden order book and no one can see it and and still have trades matched and cleared. So that was the initial idea. And and the main thesis behind it was that back then we thought that the OTC market for crypto was just going to get larger and larger and the need for deep pockets of liquidity would grow as well. The reason why we, we really want to innovate on the decentralized aspect was because, you know, this is one of those use cases, like, like I was mentioning before where it's not possible to do in, in, a, in a centralized fashion, right? It's not, it's not possible to have uh, essentially this like order book, which is hidden to the end exchange, right? Unless you do it in this truly distributed manner. Yeah, that, that was really the purpose of Republic Protocol. I mean, I, I think it's been true. Like OTC volumes have been growing year on year as well, probably at all time highs right now. One of the main challenges that we ran into was, you know, what technology do we build this stack on top of? Because there's sort of two parts to it. One is we need to maintain privacy. And the second one is we need to coordinate many nodes in the system to be able to serve as this order matching engine. So that's how we started. So we're looking at the, I guess, infrastructure that we were building on top of. And, and to be honest, it was not it was not quite there yet for, for the space. I, I think in, infrastructure almost lags behind like application innovation in this space. So, so we dove deeper and we realized that multi-party computation which is a core technology that our protocol uses now, would serve as the foundation for many, many different applications. And really, really the whole idea of multi-party computation is, is, is how you get a distributed network of nodes to um, cooperate and sign a single transaction, right? That's one of the use cases. These nodes could also do any arbitrary compute as well in the future. So it's not, it's not really limited to a single use case. We had that infrastructure there. And then one, one of the core things we we're thinking about was, okay, Bitcoin needs to be settled against USDT, which was living on Omni at the time, mostly. And this settlement needs to happen in a, in a truly trustless way. And so we're looking at the different solutions out there. And there, there was only really this uh, technology from a while ago called hash time lock contracts. And, and they presented many different problems for settlement and, and limitations as well, which I guess uh, I won't dive too deep into, but you know they create all these free options once you've confirmed a trade and which you can't remove. And settlement is very slow. You know you have I guess twenty four hour time period in which one party doesn't know whether the other one is settle settling or not, and they can choose whether to do so. We realized there were all these tech limitations behind it, and we were, we're thinking that MPC could solve this. MPC being multi party computation. Back then, we realized that the infrastructure was not good enough, so we decided to focus on the infrastructure layer instead. That's really how REN was born. Got it. So then you pivoted to a so-called V2 version uh, called REN, and REN focuses on bringing interoperability to DeFi. Can you talk about your aim with REN and how it's primarily being used right now? Yeah, sure. So 
Ren right now is um, in its simplest form, you can think of it as tokenizing assets that don't live on Ethereum onto Ethereum. So this is what it, I guess, the current state of Ren. So you can imagine that you can take Bitcoin and you can, you can wrap it and then it will mint you an ERC-20 representation of that Bitcoin, uh, which we call Ren BTC. That Ren BTC is totally fungible as well. And you can also burn it back for, for native Bitcoin. So, so the main reason we really want to do this is because uh, a lot of DeFi applications can't access native Bitcoin right now. And maybe their use case is not that they want to just do, do a trade with big native Bitcoin. Maybe they want to take that Bitcoin and do other things. Maybe they want to back an NFT with it. Maybe they want to sort of lend it on chain, or maybe they want to stake it against something else. So, so there are all these use cases that we, um, I guess, even ones that we can't predict that people would want uh, a, a wrapped Bitcoin for. And putting it in an ERC-20 form means that they can do whatever they like with it. So, so right now, they're, they're the Bitcoin use case is probably the strongest. We also have BCH and Zcash tokenized right now with many other chains coming. You know, right right now, everything is being tokenized onto Ethereum. And we, we take this view that quite a few other sort of base layer chains might also have DeFi ecosystems forming. And in fact, there's quite a few launches that are coming up or ones that have recently launched as well that will have quite vibrant DeFi ecosystems. So Ren, Ren is really not limited to just bridging to Ethereum. Like we can also bridge to Polkadot. We can also bridge to many other chains like Binance Smart Chain or really anything that has Turing complete smart contract. So we think that, you know, DeFi ecosystems will live on ma many different chains. So the question is like how we connect the two ecosystems together. And and by having having Ren BTC um, as, as, a, as an example, used on Ethereum, like that same RAM BTC could also be ported to Polkadot and, and many other chains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say we think about this from a UX perspective mostly. It's kind of about, you know, what, what do people really want? I guess, how, how do we make this process very seamless? And then thinking about, okay, how, how do we make the technology work? Talk to me about RAN by the numbers. You've been launched for a few months now. How much volumes are going through the network? Yeah, I, I would have to um, look at the latest numbers as well. I, if I recall correctly, it's been $300 million of REN tokenized assets have actually flowed through the network. And what that means is, um, so, you know, we count $1 going in as, you know, $1 volume, $1 going out as $1 of volume as well. So, so, um, so far, there's been a lot of minting and burning happening. And, um, and, and if we think about what people are really, I guess, using uh, REN for, um, you know, most people right now are quite focused on this yield farming use case, uh, with Curve being the latest example. People are tokenizing their BTC and putting it onto Curve to earn Curve tokens. This is kind of a sh very short-term thing in my mind, but it's brought a lot of exposure to REN and, and a lot of volume going through it. We've also seen a lot of burn volume going the other way. So people taking ERC-20 tokens of REN, uh, sorry, REN BTC token, tokens and, and burning them and, and turning them into native BTC. And I think one of the core uses, use cases for, for burning REN BTC is that you can actually capture many different arbitrage opportunities, whether it be on the curve pool, whether it be on like other DEXs like Kyber, Uniswap or Bancor. And then, you know, you, you can rebalance that off-chain. So, so I think the, the connection between, I guess, I guess you could call them off-chain trading and on-chain trading is, is directly linked in this case. I guess one of the examples that I, I like to think about is if we have a decentralized lending market on, a, on Ethereum that offers REN Bitcoin, suddenly a lot of these larger traders can now borrow that REN Bitcoin and turn it into Bitcoin and then you know, use it to be very productive, right? They could, they could be basis trading on BitMEX or Deribit or, or any, any exchange really and, and sort of earning yield that way. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of crossovers and I can see the two worlds really connecting this way. Are you seeing evidence of REN bringing greater liquidity to DEXs already? Yeah, so so we're starting to see that it's starting to happen. You know, in my in my mind, when these things happen, I mean, they, they kind of happen slowly and then very quickly. I like guess the same thing with REN BTC minting. 
Like I think this week we've probably minted more than we have since launch. We're definitely seeing a lot more trades happening. Uh, Loopring is another one as well. We, we have an incentivized liquidity mining program with them and, and they, they have a full limit order book that is on, on layer two and they, they trade, you know, BTC quite tight against a few pairs. They're definitely seeing a lot more tokenized Bitcoin being traded on chain. Yeah, that's for sure. So before we move on to the next topic, let's take a quick break and hear a few words about Amber Group. This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P dot I-O. Earlier, you talked about how people can also take advantage of other chains apart from Ethereum using Polkadot, for example. And I know you guys did an AMA with Polkadot and another project called Akala earlier this week. Can you share what your partnership with them looks like and what other integrations you guys have coming down the pike? Yeah, sure. So Kala is really interesting because it's a function of the way the Polkadot ecosystem is set up. So it's really to bridge RAM BTC into the Polkadot ecosystem. Uh, we would have to create a parachain for that and you know bond a bunch of dots and, and, and do that whole process. And that, that chain's sole purpose would be to bring Bitcoin into the system. So so we thought, you know, instead of going through all this complexity, why why don't we just strap onto already a leading parachain in the space? I guess just for some context as well, parachains, they're all linked together in some way. They they all join to a central hub. And, and and this is the way assets can move between in the Polkadot system from parachain to parachain at a very high level. Yeah, we, we just thought instead of replicating all the work and just kind of reinventing the wheel, why, why don't we just sort of strap onto an existing community uh, in, in Polkadot and also something that is that has a stronger chance of success, really? I see. Okay. Earlier, you also talked about REN BTC. Can you share some more high-level thoughts on tokenized Bitcoins? What are the risks, perhaps, to Bitcoin itself? What are the risks to Ethereum? I personally don't think that there will be, um, it, it's unlikely that there will be any very large systemic risk from this. I, I know a huge portion of Bitcoin has already been tokenized, something like 20 basis points of Bitcoin out of the whole system. But I mean, I, I think that these systems will scale and also will cap themselves at a, at a certain time, right, to not have any very major systemic risk to Bitcoin. Although there, there is this argument that you can make that, you know, once Bitcoin has been tokenized and is just sitting in a wallet, it can move freely around the Ethereum chain and, and Bitcoin does not earn fees from that. But, but I, I don't think this is going to be such a he heavy issue simply because a lot of the tokenizing that is done, like our system and, and many other sort of wrapped Bitcoin systems will also have to have a cap on how much like sort of Bitcoin can be controlled by the system. That is, of course, unless you're um, unless you're a centralized custodian like BitGo with WBTC as well. In that case, then I think that it, it, it sort of represents more of like a, a tether like flow, right? In the sense that, you know, wrapped Bitcoin to, to Ethereum could be what, what sort of tether is to Bitcoin to a certain extent. And so I think in, in that case, the whole ecosystem, I mean, I think there could be a little more systemic risk there with centralized models. But yeah, I, I don't think it's going to grow too large to, to be too much of an issue. Oh, obviously still keeping a close eye on the space. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Taeyong, another project you're working on is called KeeperDAO. Can you tell us what the core aspects of KeeperDAO are and what problem it aims to solve? Sure. So, so Keep It Out really was born from this need for, for more liquidity in this space. 
I was, I was brainstorming with Tian Tian from Amber. This was last, this must have been last September. And we were looking at the space and just thinking about what, what does this space need to, to grow? And, and one, of the, one of the core weaknesses we found was liquidations in the space were not very robust. Like I think they're, they're decently robust, but, but they're not as robust as centralized exchanges. And I, I'm not sure if we can ever get to that efficiency. So we're looking at back then, I think it was roughly between five to $10 million of liquidation profits to be made and, and arbitrage profits to be made on chain at the time. So, so through platforms like, like Compound, through DYDX, uh, MakeItOut. And one of the key issues with this was that when you liquidate assets, like what do you rebalance into? Let's just take DAI as an example, right? I, I um, lock up ETH and then I, I draw back DAI. And then let's just say my position is underwater. Now, now what happens is ETH, right? I have to sell this ETH back for DAI, right? So like someone else has to come step in and liquidate the position. And comparing the system to things like BitMEX as an example, um, being the sort of pioneer of derivatives in this space from a while ago, they, they have a very efficient sort of liquidation engine, right? So, so what's happening there is like when your position is underwater, they'll take over your collateral or your position, and then they'll start to slowly aggress it on the market and then you know liquidate it in a very efficient way. And, and we saw a lot of this happening on the 12th of March as well, which is when everything went haywire. Like DeFi just doesn't have that system. DeFi is kind of like, okay, if your position is underwater, then this collateral has to be liquidated almost immediately, right? Or as, as quickly as possible. Otherwise, a huge movement in the price of the underlying collateral could put the whole system at jeopardy, right? And um, the system might not remain solvent. So so this is one of the problems that we were trying to solve with Keep It Out. It's, it's essentially this idea of how, how do we become a liquidity underwriter for a lot of these systems? So, so I'm a firm believer that um, a lot of the DeFi space will also turn to derivatives once the infrastructure is ready. And for, for any derivative, you need collateral, right? I, actually, this comes back to the REN point. Like I, I think REN BTC would make great collateral for many systems. This collateral needs to be very liquid. It needs to have a market to rebalance into. And so that's what Keep It Out is. It's, it's like a decentralized liquidity underwriter with two actors in the system, liquidity providers, and then you also have keepers who help keep the whole system solvent in a way. Um, and then take advantage of arbitrage opportunities and, and liquidations. So KeeperDAO uses this pooled liquidity model. In that sense, you're saying liquidators will always be able to get a share of these larger liquidation opportunities. Speaking of March 12th, could the MakerDAO force liquidations been avoided if a KeeperDAO system were around at that time? Yeah, I think it depends on how you um, really, really integrate it. Because I, I was actually reading something recently about how it was an exploitation of Ethereum-based rules um, with people spamming like you know a lot, a lot of transactions to to essentially block out any other transaction within Ethereum block. That's how people were able to um, block potentially really legitimate liquidations and then buy that collateral for very cheap, which is what happened on the MakerDAO system. And so I, I think to a certain extent, the more liquidity that KeepItOut has, it absolutely will make this, these systems more robust. Whether, whether they can prevent such a large move like that, I, I guess is, is all theoretical, but we think that it's moving towards that. Yeah, how, however, if, if those systems did decide to directly integrate KeepItOut, make KeepItOut its um, first preference for liquidations, then certainly it, it would capture even more opportunities in, in that case. Looking at the KeeperDAO ecosystem, you mentioned there are keepers and liquidity providers. Can you talk about how profits are generated and distributed between these participants? Sure. So, so right now during, we, we call it V1 of KeeperDAO, right, right now it's a very simple model and there is no sort of complexity and, and it's a very rough model. Version two is when we are thinking about how do we have a system that perfectly balances itself, has iteration as well in the form of being able to self-iterate and upgrade itself as well. Right now during V1, liquidity providers can stake 
assets into the pool. So right now it's just ETH and wrapped ETH. Keepers can flash loan this liquidity to take advantage of any arbitrage opportunities and, and return it back to the pool. So, so right now during V1, it's, it's more of a bootstrapping phase. And, and we, we have an internal keeper that actually just returns 100% of the profits that it makes uh, back to the liquidity pool. So, so, so this, is, this is what's happening right now. In, in the future, what's going to happen is that there will be a fee split between keepers and liquidity providers. And ideally, this is algorithmically governed, but if, but if it can't be, then, you know, governed by some sort of consensus. And, and the, the whole point of it is that, like, this fee needs to be dynamic. If, for example, if 100% of the, the uh, profits made by keepers uh, went back to the liquidity providers, then keepers would have no incentive to run bots and take advantage of these opportunities. And, and vice versa, right? There's, there's no incentive to put liquidity into the pool if, if keepers are keeping all the profits. So, so it has to be somewhere in the middle. And, and we think that the markets will reach some sort of equilibrium on, the, on this point and essentially find its own equilibrium for what that optimal fee sharing should be. And in V2, will there be a governance token to incentivize activity in the KeeperDAO ecosystem? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So so, so we, we don't really think about it just as a sole governance token. Really, the way we, we, we look at the whole system is, uh, I think we take a step back and think about, okay, what, what economic levers can we pull on to really incentivize the right actors in the, in the, in the system? For example, uh, in, inflation is one way to essentially redirect token holdings from people who are unproductive to people who are productive. You could mint tokens and then distribute them to the people who are doing the work. And over time, then, you know, this level would enable the system to really redistribute wealth in many ways. Then, then, then there are other levers, like potentially we're thinking about a few models where you can stake stake on um, individual keepers. And if your keeper is underperforming, then you can, um, you know, their stake is, is, is slashed. And so this is a way of kind of um, pulling the other way rather than inflating, right? This is kind of also a form of wealth redistribution to, to the people who are performing like heavily, but, but it's another lever. And the third is essentially how do, how do we put value back into the system? You know, th- th- this could be through some sort of bind burn on, on the token, but you know, we, we haven't really formalized the model just yet. Great. Well, there's several aspects of KeeperDAO that you're going to be talking about in the Discord channel, right, on, on Telegram, so on and so forth. So for listeners out there who are interested in learning more about KeeperDAO and being involved either as a liquidity provider or as a keeper, make sure to check out those channels as well for updates. Taeyang, as we wrap up, I did want to touch on the future of composability as as it relates to what we've been talking about, which is capturing on-chain arbitrage opportunities down the line. You know, everyone is expecting ETH 2.0 to be coming out. Can you talk about whether composability will be an enhanced feature on ETH 2.0? Yeah, so so I think that with ETH 2.0 as well as sort of layer two scaling solutions present a challenge for composability. And you know, right right now a lot of the liquidity is is very composable, right? Even from a total value locked perspective, right? I mean like how, how much of that total value locked is double counted out of however many billion have been quote unquote locked in the system. Mm-hmm. And so this happens on the how deep the liquidity is, but also it happens on any any sort of spot trading of these tokens. So you know maybe maybe Kyber is routing through their internal reserves. Maybe they're routing through Uniswap. And maybe Uniswap is pulling from somewhere else. Maybe one inch is pulling from from Uniswap and doing a combination of like borrowing from compound and all these things. Really, what I'm trying to get to, I guess, is that all, all these ecosystems must exist in the, in the same place, right, for this to continue to happen. And I mean, with ETH 3.0, I think that every, like all these applications would just live on one shard anyway. For layer two, I, I know there is a lot of sort of mindshare battle 
happening between many different um, scaling solutions. I, I can see the winner being the one with a particular application that just sort of dominates a lot of market share, maybe like 80, 80% of the market share, whether it be in, in volume or even just mind share. And, and that, that layer two could potentially win, right? And, and all, a lot of the DeFi applications would then jump to there. All in all, I think that a lot of DeFi will happen, uh, continue to happen on layer one. I think once this sort of yield farming frenzy dies down as well, mm-hmm. um, fees will be a little more reasonable. And, and thinking about it, a lot, a lot of the time, people don't need speed for, for a lot of their actions. So if I'm borrowing ETH from Compound, like I, I don't really need that within the next 30 seconds, maybe. I'm, I might be happy to wait five minutes, right? I think it's perfectly reasonable as a use case. Yeah, all in all, just keeping a very close eye on ETH 2.0 and just seeing seeing how it goes. But you know, these things keep iterating. You you just have to keep an eye on it. You you never know what the formal like final model will end up being. Yeah, still in the early stages. <laughs> like, is it accurate to say that Ren is indifferent to whichever layer one ends up winning out? Because the whole point is that you guys can facilitate cross chain swaps. You guys already integrated into a hub like Akala which then makes use of other parachains. Like in the end, you really don't care which one is the winner so long as users are using REN BTC, right? Exactly. And, and actually, we, we hope that a lot of these chains have, I guess, become a lot more competitive to Ethereum as well. Because if they have their burgeoning DeFi systems grow, then so- suddenly we create an arbitrage opportunity for people trading REN BTC between ETH and also between um, you know, these new chains. Right. So, so, and we, and, and this is really good for Ren because whenever Ren, Ren BTC moves from one chain to another, then the nodes in the system can take a fee from that. We're quite bullish on a lot of chains. It just comes down to um, how the community really, really, really reacts. I'm quite bullish on the Polkadot side. And uh, Taeyong, I can't end this conversation without asking you one of my favorite questions, which is what's your most contrarian view about either crypto or DeFi more specifically? It's a, it's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure I have a, a very contrarian view off the top of my head. Um, I, I guess I could tell you something that that I um, have learned deeply in, the, in in this space, and it's 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 pretty much I think not not to look at the state of an existing application as its as its future future potential, right? I, I think like humans have a very um, limited limited view on many different things, right? So, so I've made this mistake a lot in the past when looking at applications and thinking about whether they can, they can grow, right? You know, I, I might look at an application and say, okay, you know, because of these tech limitations and because of no one's using it and because I can't see how this use case will work, um, it, it has no potential. Whereas, you know, this is it's a totally, been, totally been not true, right, uh, for, for, for many things. So, and, and what I can really distill it down to at the end of the day is, is um, not to look at, like any particular application in its current state, or, or even imagining what its future state could look like, but, but but rather making a bet on, I think the team's building these applications because because these things should should be iterating very fast. And and, and, and really, I mean, if you, if you have the right team behind it, then then um, you know, I can imagine that a lot, a lot of applications will, will grow from their existing state. So yeah, I would say that's been the biggest learning, not really a contrarian view. But it's something that I've yeah, learned over the past uh, few years. Well said. Wanted to end with a quick round of rapid fire. So quick, two questions for you. What's your favorite DeFi funny money? DeFi funny money. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you can call it funny money at this stage. I think, I think Wi-Fi is pretty good. It's probably evolved past funny money at this point with, with all the iterations going on. I think, um, I mean, yeah, yams are always interesting. 
I'm sure there's like so many more coming up. I saw spaghetti as well. It's it's a bit crazy to be honest. <laughs> and um, with a ticker, what pasta? Yeah, pasta with a ticker pasta, <laughs> exactly. And then the next thing you know, we have to have we have to have a cheese token as well to combine with the pasta. <laughs> you know, it's 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 like that. Yeah, I, I can't say anything more past that. I haven't really. There's just too much to keep a track of. Uh, maybe there's a cereal token tomorrow, so uh, you never know. That's great. What's one advice you'd give to new DeFiers who are listening in on this episode? From a user perspective, it's definitely important to understand all the protocols that, that you're using at a deeper level. I know it's very easy to be tempted to just use application and like FOMO into it and then just like give it a go. But I, I would I would definitely try to understand a lot of these applications on, on a deeper level. And, and this is good for like security, but it's also good for innovation in this space. I think the more people that understand how these protocols work, the more ideas can come from it. So like, I mean, I, I think of ideas as just branching off one another. So like all, all new ideas are really just combinations of old ideas and they, they just keep growing. I, I think nothing comes out of thin air. From an application perspective, I think if people are building in this space, it, it's it's really about looking at a few core markets. So thinking about what, what currently has value, I guess, in traditional markets and thinking about how you can really innovate this, innovate on top of this in a, in a DeFi manner. I mean, I think the NFT market is a very interesting one to look at. L- lending against NFTs is also very interesting because, um, you know, these NFTs could represent may, may, many different things, not just art, but they could actually represent, you know, a note that says that you owe me something. So you could be trading derivatives on derivatives. Yeah, I, I would say look at some core needs in the space. And, and that really comes from using the applications and, and thinking about like what what you'd like to have rather than just picking something like like a uh, like I, I'm not I'm not saying yams is bad but like it's not not like picking up a yam and then you know putting it on chain right 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 excellent well Taeyong how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about all the work that's happening behind the scenes with Ren and KeeperDAO so so on my side um, I, I have a Twitter it's just BFT uh, ZHANG it's the handle and um, for Ren, we, we have a website. We have Telegram links everywhere there. That's a good way to join the community. For Keep It Out, there is also a website. I, I guess, Leslie, you can put this in the in the description, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Keep It Out, there's also a Discord that people can discuss. Perfect. Yeah, I'll drop all of all of that. And as, as well as uh, I believe you guys have a GitHub as well that's been updated as of late. So I'll drop all of that in the show notes for our listeners to look at. Well, Tyon, thanks so much for coming on the Crypto Unstacked podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you again very soon. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. It's been great. As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify and anchor.fm slash crypto unstacked. Do engage with us through social media. I'll provide details in the show notes and connect with me on Twitter at Les Lambo. That's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and see you at our next episode.